0: Services offered through Jim Solnier and Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor.
1: This is the Retirement and IRA show coming to you from beautiful northern Colorado. Join us as Certified Financial Planner Jim Saulnier, as well as Colorado State University Finance Instructor and Certified Financial Planner Chris Stein, teach you about IRAs, borrowing case, annuities, Social Security, pension plans, and estate planning in a fun and enjoyable show. Whether you are listening live in Colorado or streaming from their website or iTunes podcast, Jim and Chris want you to know that they're available to help you plan for your retirement. Just visit their website at jimhelps.com. That's Jim, H E L P S.com. And click the Meet the Team button on the homepage. Now, here's Jim and Chris with today's show.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Retirement and IRA Show EDU edition for this week. Um, today, we are kind of circling back to a semi annual experience that we usually have here on the EDU show, where we're going to play a little uh, Q&A just uh, between Jim and I. So this is not answering questions from listeners. We do that on the Q&A show. Today, I am going to be uh, the uh, victim of a quiz given by Jim, which is a quiz that uh, the Ed Slott Elite Advisor Program gives to their own advisors on a semi-annual basis, And through this kind of uh, fun little Q&A between the two of us, uh, hopefully we'll have the opportunity to expand a little bit and and, uh, teach everybody a few things. Uh, I call myself the victim on this because the Ed Slot Elite Advisors get to take this quiz open book, and uh, I don't have that advantage as I do not have the book. So uh, keep that in mind as I fumble my way through several of these questions but uh Jim has uh we're not going to go through all the questions um he's going to try to pick the most interesting or useful ones for the show here but we're going to go through quite a few uh definitely take up today's show might string into uh, next week's show as well but longtime listeners will know that we do this uh, uh periodically usually every 6 months or so and uh the time has come again so Jim joining us from Florida thanks for uh joining me to do the show today
3: you're welcome chris and welcome everybody from uh sunny but cool south central florida i guess you would say yes definitely south but central florida it's the southern part of central florida i guess is the way i would try to describe where we are in venice florida Mm -hmm. but definitely on the west coast of florida been cool last few days, which I don't mind at all. I just got in from walking my mom's dogs and it uh, feels like fall. It's like a beautiful fall day outside. Uh, I loved it. Wanted to come home and, and run through the pumpkin patch. That's what it all <laughs> makes me think of. <laughs> which means Even all the locals
2: there are freezing, right?
3: Oh, yeah. My mom is freezing her, her, her you-know-what off. Uh, she she thinks this weather is miserable. <laughs> um, I <laughs> I'm just eating it up. I don't mind it at all. Now, if I was at the beach, I probably would want it a little bit warmer. But uh, anyways, greetings from Florida. I will be extending my stay in Venice an extra week, folks. My sister uh, is back from her vacation with her boyfriend, and I was scheduled to fly home in a couple of days. But uh, there's been a medical issue on my sister's side of the family that she married into. And she needs to head home to Massachusetts to kind of assist with a lot of stuff heading uh, that's uh, impacting uh, her married side of the family. So I didn't want to leave mom alone while my sister was gone. So I have volunteered to stay in Florida an extra week. So I won't be home to Colorado until I think the 3rd now of March. I think I'll head home around Sunday, March 3rd. I was supposed to head home Sunday, February 25th, but now it'll be March 3rd. So unlucky Jim has to stay in Florida for one more week of Florida weather. And hopefully it will not get hot and humid uh, during uh, that extra week here. I, I love being down here, but I don't like the heat and humidity of Florida. And I don't think in March I'll, I'll hit it quite yet.
2: So just to clarify for our listeners, because I'm sure a few have a question after what you just said. Um, what did I say wrong now? You, Jim's sister is not simultaneously married and with a boyfriend. Uh, Jim, <laughs> Jim's, Jim's sister was that, married yeah. in the past and uh, uh, is not currently married, but that side of the family is where this issue exists. And then there's the separate boyfriend. So uh, just wanted to make right. sure everybody... everybody oh knows wait a minute. She,
3: maybe she's one of those... Polly Morris, or whatever But call she's those. not. She's not. <laughs> no, don't, true. Don't,
2: you know, your, your sister might listen or something, or someone who knows your sister. Let's not start rumors.
3: <laughs> yes, my sister was married in the past, and that married side of the family is having a health issue. Someone on that side of the family, she wants to be there for them. So she is going to fly back home to Massachusetts and spend a week there. Uh, leaving me with my mom for an extra week here in Florida. Okay, well, we do this Q&A type thing every year, uh, actually twice a year. uh, Every six months, part of the membership in the Insulot group, we are given a test. It's 20 questions that we have to take. Uh, It is open book. Ed is not trying to trick us or keep us Uh, unnecessarily guessing for answers or googling answers. He uh, lets us use the book. It's all digitalized now, but he lets us use the book that they provide to us every six months to study IRAs and 401ks and things like that. I like to run through it before going to the book to see how I will do. And then if I ever failed, then I will jump to the book for more clarity Chris is correct. He doesn't have the pleasure of having the book. That's the whole point. And what I really want to do is kind of ask the question, guess if Chris can figure out the answer, but then dive deeper into the answers. And that's one of the reasons Ed makes this open book. He wants us to go and read these sections of the book to get kind of an idea of what they were trying to convey to us during our semiannual group meetings which uh, I will be in Indianapolis, I think I told everybody. I believe it's around the first or second week of of May. I'll be in Indianapolis for a couple of days for my uh, spring Ed Slot class. Okay, we're not going to do all 20, Chris, because some of the questions, honestly, were just really stupid. (laughs) And I don't want to waste our listeners' time with them. But some of them were kind of interesting, and I figure we'll go through. We'll skip the stupid ones and kind of dive a little bit, give some of the backstory into some of the non-stupid ones. Okay, so the first question, are you ready, Chris?
2: I am ready. I've got my note paper here in case I need to write anything down, and I'm ready. Are they uh, multiple choice? Or?
3: They're multiple choice, okay. and do you have the clap and the boo? Do oh, you still have that stupid uh, buzz sound? I have
2: the stupid buzz sound.
3: Okay, it's not as loud as it usually is, is it?
2: Uh, would you like me to turn it down a little?
3: <laughs> well, it's it, the 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 clap is very quiet, mm. and the 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 buzz is hugely okay. loud. Okay, I'll
2: I'll adjust the buzz a little bit so it's not uh, so startling for you. I know you know you are sixty
3: now. I am. I am sixty. And I'm wearing headphones right now, so it scares me. Okay, this first question is kind of useless but I like the backstory behind it. So I figured I would ask this question. The tax code allows the courts, and I think they mean the tax court, but the courts to impose a penalty on someone for filing frivolous arguments up to how much is the penalty? This is one of those questions Hmm. that to me, Who cares if you know what the number is? It's it's just useless because you can Google it real quick. Anyways, your choices, $10,000, $15,000, $20,000, or $25,000. How much can the tax court impose on someone for asking or wasting the court's time on what it deems to be a frivolous question? Hmm. Or frivolous
2: This is totally bass. a guess, because I've never heard the dollar amount, to my knowledge, so I'm going to go with 15,000 B.
3: 15,000. Okay, mm-hmm. if you have the clap sound, don't play it. Mm. Play the other one. <laughs> Apparently you don't have the other one.
2: I just did. You said to turn it down.
3: I didn't even hear it. <laughs> Can you turn it a little louder?
2: <laughs> I just did it again. You didn't hear that?
3: Seriously, no, I'm not hearing anything. Play the clap one, see if I hear that. Oh,
2: you know what? It's not coming through to you over the over Zoom. Zoom is blocking it out because it's a computer sound. Well, it's on the recording. I just buzzed myself three times, so okay. <laughs> just assume I buzzed.
3: <laughs> really? so Zoom does not let me hear a computer-generated sound? Yeah,
2: and that's probably good so it doesn't interrupt Zoom meetings. So
3: oh, okay. I could probably I set Zoom it days.
2: another way, but... but that's what it's set to right now. So. All
3: right. So anyways, folks, I have to trust that Chris actually played the buzz sound two or three times now because uh, yours truly didn't hear it. 25,000, section 6673A1 Whoa. of the tax code allows the tax court to impose a penalty of up to 25000 if the court feels that a taxpayer is acting in a manner to delay the court proceedings or has taken a position that the tax court deems to be frivolous and or groundless the purpose is to, to, to is to defer deter excuse me a waste of judicial resources i like the case that ed was referencing when this question uh, came up this case was settled uh, one day after chocolate cake day in 2023. So you should know what day that is, Chris.
2: Chocolate cake day?
3: Chocolate cake day.
2: Like your personal chocolate cake day, or there's actually a recognized c- chocolate cake
3: day? There probably is a recognized chocolate cake day, but I'm referencing my personal. Longtime listeners will know what I'm talking yeah. about. They should be shouting out, The day after Jim's birthday. right, July 24th, right? July 24th is my birthday. So this came out July 25th, 2023. That's when this tax court case was settled. Uh, My birthday is affectionately referred to as chocolate cake day. And Chris, what kind of chocolate cake?
2: Cheap, dry grocery (laughs) store chocolate cake.
3: Not necessarily dry. I like it moist, but... I don't like those deep German chocolate-style chocolate cakes with cream cheese frosting. No, nah, it's got to be a cheap Walmart or Kroger or Winn-Dixie-style chocolate cake you would get at their bakery. Uh, air fluff, you know, they blow air into the batter, so they use less batter. So the, the cake looks actually like a sponge with little holes in it. Oh, that's the kind of chocolate cake I love. Mm. Anyways, this came out July 25th, 2023, on a case that started in 2018. So talk about the efficiency of the legal bureaucracy in this country. Yeah. But what happened, folks, in 2018, a gentleman, we're going to give his real name. We're not going to call him George. This is a tax court case. It's all public record. A guy named Reynolds Harvey worked for the New York City Transit Authority, and he received $80,764 of wages from the City of New York Transit Authority. He also took a $3,099 distribution from the City of New York Retirement Plan. And when he did that, he was under the age of 59 and a half. He never filed a 2018 tax return, nor did he pay any taxes on the distribution. So the IRS actually sent him a substitute return that they completed for him. See how nice the IRS is, Chris? They are so nice. They thought, wow, this gentleman forgot to file his taxes. We will do the return for him. I don't know if they use TurboTax or not, but... The IRS sent him a tax return and they indicated, hey, Harvey, or Mr. Harvey, you owe us $11,748 in taxes Mm -hmm. and a 10% early distribution penalty of $310 for the 10% early withdrawal penalty on your $3,100 distribution. Well, Mr. Harvey, he was appalled. So he appealed to the tax court because he claimed he did not owe any income taxes. When he went to court, he represented himself. And he claimed he does not owe taxes on wages or distributions because Section 7701, A9 of the tax code defines the United States in a certain way. And he claims that the United States doesn't fall under that definition. And ergo, he doesn't owe any income taxes. Oh, my gosh. And that's what he claimed. And he fought this in tax court. And he also said the meaning of income did not change merely because of the passage of the 16th Amendment. Mm. Anyways, it did not take the tax court long to rule. How do you think they ruled, Chris?
2: Sorry, Charlie.
3: <laughs> exactly. They ruled against him and they you can read the whole uh, ruling. They it's, it's very long where they get into all this legalese of why you can't claim that the United States definition doesn't match the 16th amendment and all this other stuff that people argue constantly. There's always these wackos who claim that the 16th amendment is unconstitutional. It doesn't apply to them. They're not paying any taxes. Well, Mr. Harvey tried that, but the tax code, I think, was kind of nice because after the judge quickly ruled against him, he did impose just a $1,000 penalty under Section 6673A1, where he could have charged up to 25000 The judge told him that Mr. Harvey was putting forth, quote, a frivolous argument in support of his refusal to pay taxes, and therefore he was imposing the $1,000 penalty. I think the judge was being kind because he could have easily hit him with up to $25,000. Interesting. Yeah, I thought a little bit of the backstory on that. This next question, <clears throat> I'm going to change it. It's a four-part uh, multiple-choice. I'm just going to change it to uh, a yes or no, a true or a false for you. I'm not going to read all the answers. Um, This was interesting because of what might be coming down the pike. And that's why I want to talk about it. Has to do with secure too. Many of the questions have to do with secure too. So let's just say true or false. Now I'm rewording the question myself. So don't ask me to repeat it because I might not be able to repeat it in the same language. True or false. Under the employee, excuse me, true or false, Secure Act 2 made changes under the Employee Plans Compliance Resolution System, or EPCRS, E-P-C-R-S, for short. That's a lousy, lousy acronym. We get the, the acronym guy out there who writes to us every now and then, who came up with E-P-C-R-S, for the Employee Plans Compliance Resolution System. They needed to come up with something better than that. But Secure made changes to EPSERS under Secure 2 to apply to IRAs. True or false? True. You can play your little clap sound. Do you have any idea what Epcruise is?
2: I play the clap even though you didn't hear it. Um, it. Well, it's just like its title, right? Employee Plan Something Resolution System?
3: (laughs) What it is under the Employee Plans Compliance Resolution System, Secure2 expanded it. This is a system that allows the provider of a 401k style retirement plan to correct errors on their own through self-certification if they follow a set of rules. Under secure, Congress um, loosened these rules greatly to allow plan sponsors to fix errors that they make or an employee's error made because the employer might have been doing something wrong with the 401k. So they tried to make it easier to correct errors without having to involve um, sending forms in and filing paperwork. But they also expanded it to IRAs. And this is what makes this rather interesting. <clears throat> because you can self-correct some errors under IRAs. We all know missed 60-day rollovers, you can self-certify and correct those. This That ability has been around for a very long time. I don't know them off the top of my head. This will give you something to do while I'm opining, Chris. I believe there are now 11. There was 10. I think there are now 11 IRA 60-day rollover self-certification uh, mis- errors that can be automatically fixed. Um, find what those 11 are. They added an 11th later. So originally there was 10. And if you have missed 60-day rollover it is caused by any of these 10, now 11 items, you don't have to file any paperwork. The custodian doesn't have to do anything. You just certify to the IRS, hey, I missed completing the 60-day rollover, but I am certified. It's because of one of my 11 get-out-of-jail-free cards, and it's as easy as that to fix a missed 60-day rollover, assuming, of course, you truly do qualify for one of the 11 get-out-of-jail-free exemptions. So Congress's intent was to make many of the errors that employers make with their 401ks and, to a lesser extent, employees as easy to fix as that but they turned around and they also said hey we want to allow people to also fix errors that they may make with their iras as easy as it is for employers to fix errors with 401k plans this was never allowed before until secure. Now it was supposed to take effect now. However, Congress wrote specifically that it does not take it, it, it does take effect effective this year, 2024, but they gave the IRS until the end of 2024 to specify which errors are they going to allow a person to self-certify and fix on their own? Hmm. And they, the uh, IRS came out last year. Everybody know, remembers notice 2023-43, which adds some clarity to secure two. Um, The IRS specific and said self-correction is not available for IRAs until we, the IRS, complete a revision, which may not happen before December of 2024. So I'm going to guess they're going to take the full year. Congress gave them a deadline of December 29th. I'm going to guess December 29th is the last business day of 2024, because Congress gave them until December 29th of 2024 to put what changes in place that people can self-certify. I'm intrigued by this because Ed spent a lot of time talking about errors that he feels we might be able to fix with self-certification. It's not a blanket get-out-of-jail-free card, folks. They're going to have to be, they being the IRS, it's going to have to be very specific. If you committed this error and the error was caused by any of these reasons, you can fix this on your own and just certify these reasons apply to you. That doesn't keep you from getting audited. And be prepared for a letter audit if you self-certify, asking for explanation. Okay, hey, you self-certified. And you said this thing was the reason why. Show us proof. So they're still going to want proof, but it's going to be easier to fix errors. Ed feels these could be some errors that you might be able to fix a little bit easier. Violating the once per year IRA rollover rule. He feels that one might be able to be fixed through self-certification. Again, not blanket, but with very specific reasons. Violating the same property rule. A lot of people don't understand this. If you're doing an IRA rollover, as you know, you can distribute assets out of an IRA. You don't have to distribute cash. So if you took a distribution of an actual share of something out, and this happens to people all the time, they don't want to sell an investment, but they want to get it into another IRA at another custodian quicker than a transfer, I guess. So they distribute the asset out into their brokerage account and they think, hey, I now have this investment in my brokerage account. I want to keep it there for one reason or another. I'm going to put cash back into my IRA. Or the other way around. They distribute money out of their IRA. Maybe they spend it. And they're thinking, God, I got to put $30,000 back into my IRA within 60 days. Hey, I've got $30,000 of shares of XYZ stock. I'm just going to move that stock share in. I'm still moving $30,000 in. It's just stock. Rather than me selling the stock and then having to buy it back inside my IRA, I'm just going to move the stock in worth 30000 That's a violation of the same property rule. It's not allowed. Ed feels maybe that will be able to be fixed, folks. Recharacterizations of Roth conversions, which cannot be done. And I don't know who would ever do a recharacterization because no custodian allows them anymore. But if somehow you snuck one through... And you recharacterize a Roth conversion, you can still recharacterize a Roth contribution, but not a conversion. Ed thinks you might be able to fix those. Modifications of 72T, he feels you may be able to fix. He also feels maybe um, you're going to be able to easily fix missed RMDs and perhaps excess IRA contributions. These are things that he identified as prime candidates for the expansion under SECURE Act of allowing IRAs now to have certain self-certification fixes for common problems without having to apply for a private letter ruling, which can cost up to $10,000. Did you find, for my example, the 10 or 11 get-out-of-jail-free excuses on missing a 60-day rollover?
2: I did, and it's 12 now, total. It's
3: 12 now, mm-hmm. okay. A through so, L. what mm-hmm. are they?
2: So this is directly reading directly from Revenue Procedure 2020-46. So I like to state that so you know I'm going straight to the horse's mouth. And this is uh, under the section Reason for Missing 60-Day Deadline. Uh, you can essentially... Uh, <clears throat> Self-certify and fix this if you had one of the following reasons for missing the 60-day period, the 60-day deadline on a 60-day rollover. The reasons are an error was committed by the financial institution. Uh, The distribution having been made in the form of a check was misplaced and never cashed. The distribution was deposited into and remained in an account that the taxpayer mistakenly thought was an eligible retirement plan. We've seen that before. The taxpayer's principal residence was severely damaged. A member of the taxpayer's family died. The taxpayer or a member of the taxpayer's family was seriously ill. The taxpayer was incarcerated. Restrictions were imposed by a foreign country. A postal error occurred. The distribution was made on account of a levy under uh, Section 6331, and the proceeds of the levy have been returned to the taxpayer. The party making the distribution to which the rollover release relates delayed providing information that the receiving plan or IRA required to complete the rollover, despite the taxpayer's reasonable efforts to obtain the information. Or, finally, the distribution was made to a state-unclaimed property fund. Those are the 12 get out of jail free cards if you want to use uh, Jim's terminology.
3: Right. So if you're doing a 60 day rollover, which everybody should know if you're listening to this podcast, what it is, that's when you take money out of an IRA, take it out physically. It's money. It's dollars. You got it. Or you could take shares out, but you got to make sure you put shares back in and you can do whatever you want with the money for 59 days. As long as by the 60th day, it's back inside an IRA, not in an envelope postmarked with a check, um, but actually physically in the IRA within 60 days. People do these all the time. We've recently done some this year for for listeners, not listeners, but clients of ours for a variety of reasons that I won't get into. But we did not this year, but last year, uh, we did uh, a bunch of these for people. And when you do those, you have to get the money back in within 60 days, but many people screw up for one reason or another, and they don't get it back in. If the screw up is caused by one of those 12 reasons, you can just put the money back in to your IRA and certify to the custodian. You got to follow rules. You got to send a letter and certify and keep a copy and the custodian keeps a copy And then, if you ever audited and the IRS wants proof that you truly did qualify, that's where we'll send you a letter audit asking for proof. But that's how easy it is to fix a missed 60 day rollover. Now, if you don't qualify for one of the 12 reasons and you self certify, you do run the risk that the IRS will audit you and then you're not going to have proof and then you're going to run into a whole host of issues. But you're not supposed to do that. Yep. So does that all make sense? I
2: think so. It'll be interesting to see what the list ends up being after they're done.
3: Yeah. And not only what are they going to let you fix, what would be the get out of jail free excuses that will allow Mm -hmm. you to get up? Um, They have to do it by December 29th. Okay, this next question I like the backstory to this, and it's going to be something that we can chat about a lot because it's a very, very sad case. Okay, replacing dollars in an IRA as a restorative payment, quote-unquote restorative payment, is permitted under which of the following reasons? Putative damages received following a lawsuit. Poor investment returns. Compensatory damages received following a lawsuit. Or interest accrued. What would be the acceptable reason for making what the IRS calls a restorative payment to your IRA? Essentially, suing someone because they lost you money inside your IRA and you're suing them to punish them. That's punitive. Mm-hmm. Or you're just suing them because they lost you money on an investment. Or you're suing them to actually make up for the money that you lost. That's compensatory damages. I don't understand interest accrued, so I'm giving you a little hint. It ain't that answer. Yeah. It's like they threw that fourth one in there because I had no better thing to put in for, for number four. Mm-hmm. Which is an acceptive restorative payment, Chris?
2: Uh, I'm pretty sure it's compensatory damages.
3: That is correct. You can play your little clapping that I cannot hear. Yeah. yeah
2: Cause cons- compensatory is just kind of putting you back and uh, making you whole again. So if, uh, whatever the event caused a distribution out that was, you know, harmed you in some way, and this is to fix it, they're allowing you to put that part back in um punitive damages are almost thought of as like a profit to you in some way it's extra above and beyond just making you whole so that's not allowed to 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 happen so that that was my thought process on the compensatory
3: yes and that is true so let's look at kind of the backstory that ed was sharing with us when he was explaining what was going on because it ties down to ed's belief that as people age, they should work with a financial planner. Now, this is Ed talking, not me. Really, he believes passionately in that, though. If for no other reason but to watch out for things that you might be missing due to cognitive decline. So the story started in 2017. The tax court case, this is all public knowledge, so I'll use real names, didn't come out until one week before Chocolate Cake Day in 2023. Mm-hmm. So can you guess what day that would be, Chris?
2: Uh, that would be July 17th.
3: July 17th, 2023. Very good. You catch it on the Chocolate Cake Day. But it all goes back to 2012. So. Sus- So what happened is this. I'm pretty sure, excuse me, all goes back to 2014, not 2012. Okay. This is from the tax court who had to rule uh, in this case. The facts of this case, and this is a quote directly from the tax court. The facts of this case are undisputed and disturbing. And then the tax court goes on to explain what was happening. Dennis and Suzanne Gomez, G-O-M-A-S, not Z, Gomez. It won't be Gomez. Gomez, is that how you pronounce that?
2: Mm, That's my guess, but I'm not sure.
3: Okay. Dennis and Suzanne Gomez. They ran an online pet food business in New York. And according to them, A woman named Jennifer Taylor was their business manager, and she began stealing their inventory. She also took their customer list and sold them to competitors, and she failed to adequately supervise their employees. So overall, a pretty crappy business manager. Stealing inventory, selling customer lists, failure to monitor uh, and track employees themselves. Hmm. So in 2014, Mr. Gomez fired her and moved out of New York and to Florida. Maybe he moved somewhere into the Venice area where I am. I have no idea. It doesn't say In 2016, the Gomeses needed help, and they decided to retire and turn the business operation over to Susan Anderson, Mrs. Gomez's daughter. So this was a second marriage, I believe, for the two of them. So it was the wife's daughter, the husband's stepchild. And she stepped in, no pun intended, and started assisting Mr. Gomez so he could kind of retire with running the business. In 2017, this daughter, Suzanne Anderson, began to lie and kind of groom Mr. Gomez. They never say how old they are. So I don't know. Are they in their 60s, 70s, 80s? I have no idea. But she started to spin a web of, as the tax court said, never ending lies, quote unquote, to Mr. Gomez. She convinced him that former, excuse me, she convinced him that the woman he fired originally, Jennifer Taylor, the original office manager and other employees, had fraudulently opened business accounts using his personal info that they stole. And they were using those accounts to defraud customers of his over the internet. And she told him, you are personally liable for this fraud because they used your information to do it. So you need to hire an attorney. And she had an attorney for him already picked out. A real attorney named Anthony Rickman. And she said, this attorney is going to represent both you and my mom and prevent Mr. Gomez from being arrested. And if they didn't do this, he was going to be arrested. You can almost see, Chris, that these people had to have been old. Were they not going to ask mentioned questions? Because neither of the Gomez's ever met physically with the attorney. And the attorney testified in this case. And he later said that neither Gomez or the daughter were ever his client. So it's kind of like the daughter just randomly found an attorney in the phone book and said, this guy's going to represent you. But I'm shocked that the Gomeses, both the, the wife and the husband, the mother and stepfather of this woman, didn't question her and say, hey, let's get in front of this attorney. I want to talk to this attorney. They were just believing the daughter as she was telling them, look, you got to get me some money because we have to hire this attorney. So the daughter told them that the attorney needs one hundred and twenty five thousand or Mr. Gomez will be immediately arrested her, arrested him. So excuse me, that if they didn't pay, Mr. Gomez would be immediately arrested. So they gave the daughter $125,000. Later, she said the attorney needed an additional $13,000. And then the tax court went on to say, on many subsequent occasions, Anderson continued with the story, telling the Gomeses that they will be arrested if they don't keep sending additional money to the attorney. And that the daughter is collecting the money and sending it to the attorney. By the end of 2017, they had given the daughter $1,175,000 in distributions that they had to take by then from their IRA and pension. $725,000 $725,000 of the $1.175 was handed directly to the daughter. Wow. By 2019, the gomuses, and the tax court doesn't explain how, but the gomuses became aware that this was a scam. So they went to the police. The police investigation led to the daughter's arrest. And in June of 2022, she pled guilty and was sentenced to 25 years in jail. So at least the daughter got what she deserved. But the couple was out $1.175 million. And a lot of it came from an IRA. So they ended up paying a lot in taxes on those distributions. So they deducted in February of 2020, they amended their 2017 tax return. And they deducted from income the $1,175,000 of IRA and pension payments. And they sought a refund of the income tax they paid on it. In February of 2021, the IRS disallowed the refund, stating the distributions are not deductible. The Gomeses appealed. The IRS rejected the appeal, so the Gomeses took the IRS to tax court. The judge said in court, "Astonishingly, the tax law requires me to side with the IRS." And the judge noted that before 2018, victims of theft were entitled to deduct the Mm -hmm. theft loss on their taxes. But And this is little mentioned. We all talk about the good of the Tax Cuts and Job Act. Mm -hmm. But when the Tax Cuts and Job Act passed, you know you have to quote unquote pay for a tax cut. So part of the way they paid for it was to keep people who were victims of theft from deducting the theft. So they could no longer deduct it. It didn't apply to them. So they then argued to the court that they should be able to deduct it as a business expense. But the tax court ruled, no, that wasn't a business expense. And the court itself had to write, regrettably, plaintiffs authorized and directed each sale from Mr. Gomez's IRA account and each wire transfer to their son trust account they freely exercised their discretion over the expenses paid from those accounts including the handouts to Anderson that's the daughter unfortunately for the plaintiffs because they were the ones who requested and received the IRA distributions They are the payees within the meaning of Section 408. And Andersons' subsequent theft does not change their status. So the judge didn't want to rule that way, but he had to. And the Andersons ended up owing all the taxes. Why am I mentioning all this? Well, Ed goes on to say again, This is where he got into restorative payments. He does say it's unclear. This is Ed now talking. It's unclear whether the Gomeses have a legal right to sue their child. But if they could sue and can successfully recover their losses, they may be able to roll it over into an IRA, any money received as a restorative payment. But let's face it, folks, you know, and I know, They're not getting diddly squat out of the daughter. Plus, she's in jail for 25 years, and that money she stole from her own parents, granted biological mother, stepfather, I guarantee you is long gone. But what Ed wanted to say, and he referenced the nice case, which we talked about on this podcast, where a son in Louisiana did a similar thing to his mother. He had, uh, I think he was second or third child. There was two or three children that this mother had. He was a drug addict, but was taking care of his mom. The other, the daughter, I don't know if they were two daughters or one, lived in another state. So he volunteered in the NICE case to help take care of mom But what he ended up doing was stealing over a million dollars from her IRA to feed his drug habit and spending the money. And the mother, uh, because she was going through dementia and had memory issues, didn't know it was happening. Eventually, the mom died and the son died. I don't know if the son killed himself or died. But when the mom died, the daughter discovered the theft. And shortly after that, I don't know if it was months or a year or so after, the son who did all the theft himself died. So the daughter filed for a refund of the mom's taxes paid and the tax court denied it, said, no, the mom took the money out voluntarily, uh, even though she was going through some issues, but they were still paid to her. She's liable. There is no refund. I think they were asking like $400,000 back in refund. By the time the daughter discovered the theft, all the mother's money was gone. Mm -hmm. What Ed mentioned to us and what I'm mentioning to you again, his point is, and there's no case for sure, but he feels... A crucial role that any, and I'm reading from Ed now in our manual. These cases are a dramatic illustration the crucial role an advisor can play as a watchdog over a family's finances. An engaged and attentive financial advisor surely would have noticed and questioned the very large IRA distributions That were being made regularly in the Gomez case. And question them about it. Acting as a gatekeeper to be able to detect and question this type of elder abuse and fraud can provide value to any family. Now this is Ed's opinion, not mine, but it's an opinion I happen to strongly believe in. And I know all you Vanguard, VG, do-it-yourselfers. You want to do it yourself for as long as possible. And Chris and I want you to. But there's going to become a time. These people, the Gomez's, again, I don't know their age. They were business people. They were running a fairly successful pet, online pet food sale thing out of New York. I think at one point in their lives... They knew what the hell was going on. But eventually what happens is, sadly, they trust too much in their children. And most fraud against elderly people is from children. We've talked about this repeatedly. It's from children or other people the the elder victim knows. Maybe not family members or children, but friends and neighbors. It's often from people you know, and often from children. And when there is no gatekeeper, nobody monitoring and looking at account balances, you can run into trouble. And the theory is that Ed has, and after doing this for 25 years, and sadly, there's some advisors who wouldn't pick up on this, there's some advisors who wouldn't know anything about this, and sadly... This case after case after case after case of advisors being the ones who are stealing from the the clients. Because eventually people get to the point where they don't fully understand financial matters. But Chris, what doesn't degrade? We talk about this constantly. It's a broken record. But Chris, what doesn't? great yeah
2: unfortunately your confidence in your ability to make decisions and understand financial concepts doesn't go down so you it's kind of like uh you know a double whammy your your abilities your cognitive abilities decline but you don't realize it um which just kind of sets you up for being taken advantage of unfortunately and that's uh why elder uh fraud is so rampant uh around the world. It's not just a US problem. It's this happens all over the place. So it's uh, a gatekeeper, whoever it might be, uh, I think is an important piece of kind of protecting your loved ones as they age from things like this.
3: Now, let me go out and say this is no reason to run out and hire a quote unquote, fee only now we're going to get pissed off people again, a fee only financial advisor is going to charge 1% or even more of your millions of dollars that you may have. It's not worth perhaps paying 20, 30, 40, $50,000 a year, depending on how much net worth you want this advisor to quote, unquote, manage and monitor for you. So I think the industry itself needs to step up and seriously start changing their business model and start providing services to elderly people where you can monitor account balances even balances that you don't manage yourself. You're just kind of monitoring balances for your client. You've done a sound retirement plan for them. You're in communication with them throughout the year on a regular basis. You know how much in dollars should be coming out of their account. Maybe you're doing their taxes for them. So you have multiple years of tax returns to look at Gee, I normally see this much in distributions, this much in interest. All of a sudden, boom, I'm seeing massive tax issues, massive 1099s, distributions that don't match spending that the client has shared with us. Maybe the advisor is starting to notice on their own, like I have, sadly, with several of my clients, cognitive decline in them. And I've had to reach out to family to inform them of what I have seen. I don't want to get any deeper into it than that. I just want to encourage you to be on the lookout. Most of you people listening to this, you're still in your 50s and 60s and probably 70s, and you're still cognitively here. You've got time to figure this out. But I do think eventually having an impartial, not a family member, because they could be the very ones who are stealing from you, but just having a gatekeeper, I like how Ed words it, a gatekeeper. The one thing I will share, everyone knows, because Chris and I have talked about this, we've kind of paused accepting new clients. Now this, I won't get it, we'll chat about our ability to accept new clients in the not-too-distant future for retirement. Plan. But one of the reasons I paused is that I've used the... the adage of a butterfly coming out of a cocoon, that right now I think my firm is more of the caterpillar. And there's so much more I want to do for my clients as a firm. And I said last year that we would be launching it by now. We're not ready to launch. We're not ready for prime time. And we'll share more of this in the future, why we're not ready right now. But we're very close. I don't think we're going to launch this year, but I think by next year. And one of the things that I'm trying to do is a business approach that's going to address this very case. We want to be the advocate, the gatekeeper. I don't give a damn if I manage your assets or not. That doesn't matter. That's not even required we want to be able to see what's going on to know what you should be spending through discussions with you and a retirement analysis and understanding of what's going on this technology now that lets us see accounts even if we're not managing them so we can monitor and look at the distributions and is it matching what you shared with us and if we're also doing taxes for you or at least working close with your tax professional If you don't want my firm doing them, so we can make sure the income is reflecting what we feel it should be. Are there any red flags? Because we now, as advisors, have been granted the ability by Congress to be a a reporter, a first—not a first responder. That's what I was when I was a cop, but a first. I think it's called a, a. Prime reporter, a first reporter, or something like that. Chris, I don't know the, the the term, but we can report to authorities if we see something that doesn't make sense. And if we bring it to the attention of family and we're being "Ah, oh, don't worry about it. It's OK. No, 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 you can't talk to mom and dad and don't worry about this. We're stepping in under this power of attorney or mom's being sued. Dad might be arrested. I've got this all covered. You don't need to talk to dad. If we're getting answers like that, and we're seeing distributions coming out, we have the ability to report that. And that is Ed's point. And he writes in here that perhaps if there was a gatekeeper, a competent advisor could have alerted authorities that something's not making sense. I'm going to encourage advisors who are listening to this, to contemplate offering services like that. But I'm also going to encourage you, the listeners, eventually you may want to find a firm offering a service like that. And if they insist on quote unquote managing your assets to do it, tell them to go pound top. It shouldn't cost you forty, fifty, sixty thousand $60,000 a year in AUM fees just to have some competent person looking over everything and understanding what you should be spending every year, what your tax liability should look like, what your benefit who your beneficiaries are, just a good picture of what you have. So it kind of gives you a little bit of an idea folks as well of the butterfly that we will be launching. And it's not a service that everybody needs. We're still going to have a a la carte service. We have people hire us for a retirement plan. We don't have to manage your money. We give you our thoughts on your retirement. We tell you what we think you should do. That's not going away. But there's going to come a time in everyone's life where they're going to say, hey, you know what? I need this. I want this. I need somebody making sure no one's taking advantage of me. Anything you want to add to this, Chris?
2: Yeah, I think it's something that... Um you know, falls into that not realizing that your cognitive abilities in this area have diminished. So you oftentimes don't think to reach out for yourself, for help, for that gatekeeper, uh, if you wait too long. So I think it's something when you're maybe, you know, fully processing things earlier in your retirement planning uh, for yourself, if you're a do-it-yourselfer, is proactively put a plan in place for this. That at some point, you know, you're bringing in somebody to kind of watch over some of these things uh, in some way without being overcharged for something like that. Even if it's that simple part, it's going to be hard to get just that as an a la carte, just that by itself. But I don't think you need the the full monte doing everything um, uh, for a very high fee in order to get this one element. Uh, There's got to be, you know, a balance, if you will, but include this in the list your your checklist of things to put in place for the older you that the older you will benefit from and appreciate um, as the younger you puts together the plan for the older you.
3: Okay, that's why I wanted to share that story, folks, and, and answer this. Oh, excuse me, ask this question um, because it's the backstory. And the NICE case, which we did talk about. I don't know if you remember that case, Chris, the NICE case. Uh, and there's sadly more and more and more stories of this. If, you, if you're if you a member of AARP, I'm not, but I do get their news feeds from Yahoo, excuse me, from Apple News. And they recently had an article in their magazine talking about the amount of money. And it's billions, folks, billions, 20-something billion a year estimated stole from elderly people and how most of the crime, that's only from the reported crimes. Most theft goes unreported because the elderly person is either embarrassed when they figure it all out or it's from family members and never gets reported. Yeah. So anyways, eventually you VGs, you're going to have to bite the bullet and eventually get help. We talk about this all the time under our aging LTC uh, aspect of our fund number calculation. And we'll be doing a whole series of shows uh, in the not too distant future, I think in another month or so, a whole series of shows again on our approach, how we do it, the fund number, updating the, the series we did almost four years ago, more than four years ago now. But under our approach to the fund number, we'd have an aging LTC um, analysis we do. And I try to get people to understand. Aging and long-term care are two different expenses. How are you going to pay for just growing old? That's the aging-related expenses. And we give examples all the time. What if you need to hire someone to come clean your house? What if you need to hire someone to come take care of your landscape, need someone to come in and do maintenance around your home, a handyman that you used to do yourself, but maybe you can't go up and down the ladder anymore. I have high ceilings in my current house. It's a ranch home, but high ceilings. What if I don't move to uh, Ohio and I stay there? I have to go up on a 12 foot step ladder that I have to change the battery in the very highest part of my house. Think I'm going to do that as a 75, 80 year old going up on a high ladder? No, I'm going to have to hire someone to come do that. We're going to hire a handyman. So growing old, we don't think twice about paying people to come help us do things we can't do ourselves. Yet VGs, you're aghast to hire someone to help look over your finances, I'm not saying you're going to have to hire someone to manage your money unless eventually you want to give that part up, too. But I think you might have to hire someone to look over your finances, be that gatekeeper. Anyways, just wanted to share that little tidbit. Let's do one more real quick one okay. and then wrap this up. We'll we'll do another set next week and that'll probably be it. I don't think I'll go through. It. I'm definitely not going through all 20 questions. There's a couple more I want to get to. Reason I wanted to do this one real quick. It's a section two oh four question. What have we been talking about Mm, for the last? If you do not get this, Chris, oh no, I will fly home early, smack you upside the head, and fly back down here to help take care of my mom. Okay. So I don't feel like flying, so please get this right. Okay, section two oh four. This is a question. And you all listening. You better get this. Although I will admit, it's kind of a tricky question. The way way they worded it, two of the four answers could theoretically be correct. Mm. And I hate questions like that. I don't like the way they kind of worded this. Under Section 204 of Secure 2, it will allow annuity overage payments to be aggregated with other IRA RMDs to offset a person's total RMD. Mm -hmm. Real quickly, just explain to people what an overage is in case someone doesn't know.
2: So that is the amount of the distribution from the Annuity, the amount of the payment from the annuity that exceeds what otherwise would have been required under traditional RMD rules based on an account balance associated with the annuity. How about that? That's not enough. He must have used this opportunity to ask me a question so he could go cough uh, or go to the bathroom. No,
3: or no, I I didn't realize I was muted. Oh um, I was muted. <laughs> you usually tell me when I'm muted. I didn't realize I was muted. I didn't um, either. Very until good I up. That that yeah. it would have taken me sixteen minutes to just explain what an overage is. So Chris is right. And if you have any confusion, just look at the past few shows we've done over the last four, five, six weeks. We've done several shows on Section 204. Mm-hmm. Okay, now the question. However, in order to be able to use the overage from the annuitized IRA, and Chris, what is an annuitized IRA, the verb mean? Mm
2: -hmm. That means you have uh, given up claim on the lump sum amounts of your money there. It now belongs to the insurance company. Instead, you have a promise from the insurance company to make you payments, in this case, for the rest of your life.
3: Exactly, and those payments are often... Two or three times the size of the corresponding RMD if you never annuitize. That's the overage. Okay. However, in order to be able to use the overage from the annuitized IRA, what important detail must be obtained from the annuity provider? Mm-hmm. A, your life expectancy. B, the annual lump sum value of your ongoing annuity payments, C, the value of all your IRAs in aggregate, and D, all of the above. What one of those three, or is it all three, do you have to get from the annuity company that is holding your annuitized IRA?
2: The only thing you need to get from them is B.
3: Exactly. And that's why I clarified it that way. It's a tricky question because you do need the value of all your IRAs. But when I was reading this and I was ready to answer, I was like, well, wait a minute. It's not all of the above.
2: Well, you don't need to use it.
3: You don't need your single life at all. You don't need that unless you were going to try to determine the value of your annuity payments, I guess. So it's kind of a tricky question. And the only thing that the IRA annuity or the annuitized IRA at the insurance company knows is the lump sum value. They can determine it. We've already talked that many insurance companies are now finally starting to provide this. We just talked about that. There's no way they can give you the value of all your IRAs combined. It's when I read that one, I realized, no, 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 all of the above is wrong. Mm -hmm. But normally when you see all of the above, it's right. But here again, folks, all of you should have gotten that, that you need the lump sum value of the annuitized IRA as if it was never annuitized. What is the value of the remaining Lifetime payments. Here, I do disagree, though. This is saying that you must get it from, because it says, I'll read the end of the question. What important detail must be obtained from the annuity provider? Congress, that that is wrong. That must, I would argue, Chris, because as we all know, under 204, Mm -hmm. that was the whole issue there was no guy there was no must get it from the annuity provider congress simply said you're allowed to do this but they gave no direction on how you determine the lump sum value ed slot and i agree said the best thing to do is go to the insurance company and ask them but there was no requirement and in fact one of the articles that we referenced and we gave a link to in previous podcasts not too long ago Was from the Retirement Trust Association or something like that, a group of trusts or trustees that came out with uh, their thought on this. And they gave some examples. If you couldn't get the lump sum value from the annuity company, how you on your own could come up with your own lump sum value, what calculation to use. So I disagree with the wording of this question, Chris. I'm not gonna argue with the question. I big know what guys, they were Chris.
2: meaning by it. It's cleaner, you know, more reliable, easier, but must is probably
3: the wrong word. Must should have been should. Yeah. Or may. What important yeah. detail may be obtained from the annuity provider. But it's not a must, folks. You can still on your own determine what you feel is the lump sum value of that annuity, just be prepared to defend it in an audit. I instead would rely on um, calling the insurance company or writing to them and asking for it. Because if the insurance company starts reporting this value and don't be surprised if the IRS mandates that they start reporting this lump sum value on $54.98 to them every year. So they're gonna know what the value in the insurance company's eyes that annuity is and if you're reporting a value significantly lower because your calculations as bgs differ that hey i get this covered i'm an engineer i know excel i programmed it this is what i feel the value should be if your value in the 5498 is not matching up you're going to have an issue and i believe and i don't have them in front of me i believe some of the letters i read from our listeners, um, I believe it said they would be reporting that value to the IRS on 5498, which makes sense. If the the if your IRA is still now an IRA with an account balance, the IRS mandates all custodians every May on Form 5498 report to them what the value of that IRA is. This is how the IRS can check to make sure your RMDs are sufficiently close mm-hmm. to what should be coming out. They're being told what the value of your IRA is every year. Yep. I would imagine they're going to want that 5498 from the insurance company. Right. Okay. So anyways, yeah. that's why I wanted to get to that one. I figured you would get that one right yeah. as well. Nice. All right. We'll do this one more time next week. We'll do another five um, and go from there. Maybe another one after that because I'm still going to be here in Ohio. Not Ohio. We're really, right. Florida. Still going to be here in Florida, but we'll see. But we'll do at least one more show uh, okay. with some more questions from uh, the Ed Slot semi-annual test. You okay. did good, Chris.
2: Well, thank you. And I'll see if I can figure out how you can hear the clapping and the buzzing sound for our next session. Oh, I don't need session. to hear as
3: long as you're playing. I trust you that you're playing. <laughs> okay. So you could actually be playing a recording this as like, Jim – Jim sucks. And I wouldn't even know. Right? I could Some now, now clapping. that I know you can't hear it. Yeah, I'll redo my
2: <laughs> soundboard here so I have other options.
3: Until I listen to the podcast one, which I hardly ever do. It's I say to you podcast. don't. So. <laughs> you, you we could, don't have to listen, listen to it. We were part of it, right?
2: <laughs>
3: you, you could be playing a recording for all I know that says Jim is an idiot. Uh, but, oh, Jim is a really nice guy and I love working mm-hmm. for him. That would be yeah, a nice. Or one.
2: I could be changing your voice into like uh, Alvin and the Chipmunks or something.
3: That's right. I wouldn't hear that either. Exactly.
2: Well, thanks everybody for listening and uh, hopefully you did pretty well taking the quiz uh, as uh, you know, on your end, if you want to uh, participate again in more quizzes next week, we'll do some more. We'll see after that. We'll decide how many good ones are. I I know you're not doing all of them, so maybe there won't be enough good ones to do a third show, but we'll likely do it again next week. If uh, you're more in tune or more interested or, I guess, also interested in our traditional Q&A show. That one's coming up in a few days. Uh, if you want to send in your own questions, you know how to do it. Send those questions directly to Jim, jim at jimhelps.com. Uh, put in the subject line that it's a question for the podcast itself. And uh, on a Q&A show, which this was not, this was an EDU show technically, on a Q&A show, we'll hopefully get to your question. So, you enjoy your cool Florida fall weather down there. We're having uh, sunny and sixty-five, mostly blue skies here in Colorado. I'm going to head out for a walk here right after uh, I'm done with the recording and uh, uh, enjoy wow, the fact that it sounds here? better. Yeah, it's it's increased.
3: sixty-four here, so Colorado is one degree warmer than I am right now. In yeah, Venice, I think Florida. it's
2: sixty-five outside my house right now and sunny, so it's lovely. Wow.
3: Very lovely, yes, very lovely. No
2: wind or anything? No, there's no beach close by, but <laughs> <laughs> the rest of it's pretty good. Okay. So take it easy. We'll be back with everybody next week with a brand new show.
1: You have listened to Jim on the radio, read his quotes in the media, and enjoyed his banter on iTunes. But even now you may wonder what sets Jim Salmier and Associates apart from other financial planning companies. The answer is quite simple. Jim's diverse team of professionals specializes in retirement planning. They form a lifelong relationship with you and measure their success not through product sales, but through the security and prosperity you may achieve in your retirement. Jim's entire team shares his unwavering commitment to placing their client's best interests first while offering their services at fair prices with full disclosures. The professionals at Jim Saulnier and Associates are available to assist you with your retirement planning needs. Visit JimHelps.com to schedule your complimentary coffee and a second opinion meeting. That's Jim, H E L P S, Or call 970 530 0556.
0: is offered through Jim Solnier and Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor.